Please repeat after me. Please repeat after me. Testicles, testicles, one, two, one, two. I will not, one, <laughs> two, one, two. <laughs> everyone you're listening to the gutter glitter podcast it is based off my memoir gutter glitter and if you're just jumping in now I suggest you go back to episode one where I read the prologue episode two I read chapter one and now we're jumping into episode three where I interview my mum about chapter one so it had been my goal to release the chapter episodes, and then the interview within the same week. Different days, but within the same week. And in a perfect world, that is what I would still be doing. But I am just returning into the podcast game. So this week, and look, for the foreseeable future until I get my shit together, it's there might be a little bit of delay. Probably none of you care, but I just wanted to apologize because that had been my goal uh, all along. And sometimes it can be a little bit confusing if there is a big delay between the chapter and now the episode where I get to discuss those events. So this week I am talking to my mum because obviously the early chapters are about my school life and my early life where she probably knows me better than most anybody else. And she's a particularly good source in this early chapter where we're discussing my school life because she was not only a teacher for most of her life, but she actually was the drama teacher at my school. I know, very strange. Thankfully, just the primary school years. So it wasn't too mortifying as I entered high school. We get into my anxiety throughout this period of my life. We also look at some of the bullying I endured and how that affected my self-esteem. And we also look at my some of the learning difficulties I endured throughout school. So I, it was really interesting to have her point of view, her perspective as I was growing up compared to what I felt inside. Um, it, was, it was fascinating for me to hear and I hope that it's interesting for you as well. I will apologize. There's a few little mic noises. Mother and I tend to be quite emphatic with our gestures when we speak. So there will be a few little bumps here and there. I have tried to get rid of most of them, but I do apologize if that becomes a little bit irritating for you. The final thing I would like to say is that in last episode, I did mention that I would put the song of the chapter, the soundtrack of the chapter at the end of the episode, only on Spotify, however, uh, this is because Spotify is the only podcast platform that allows you to insert songs without coming down hard on you and threatening to pull your podcast from any of the other platforms. I will just adjust that in saying I've recently learned it's just Spotify premium. 
So if you are listening on Spotify and you're confused about where the songs are, that might be why you're not getting them. Don't worry if you don't have Spotify Premium. I will always add some links in the show notes for you to be able to access the soundtrack of that song. Of course, if it's my own song, I have the rights to them and I will always insert that song at the end of the episode and you'll be able to access that no matter what platform you're listening to this on. The only other thing I want to say about Spotify is that... I have got currently two podcasts that are both gutter glitter on the Spotify platform. Eventually, we will get rid of the original one that went up there because I had not figured out how to insert the songs yet. (laughs) And now I have. So do make sure that you're following Gutter Glitter with soundtrack. That's what you'll search for. The podcast image is almost identical. So it's that pink background with the white text saying gutter glitter, but there is in brackets saying complete with music. So that's the one that you're looking for. Make sure you're following that podcast because yes, the other one will be deleted eventually, probably in the not too distant future. Now I don't intend on adding music to the end of every interview episode. However, because these early episodes are often about my self-esteem and how I saw myself at that time and feeling like I was overweight because that's what a lot of my bullying was about and my solution to that was fad dieting and the dangerous path that that led me down. I have decided to include one of my own songs called Ragdoll at the end of the episode. This song comes from my first EP called Bear and a lot of the songs on that album or the songs I was writing at the time that were just demos uh, relate to my self-esteem. I always feel very vulnerable sharing my own music but this song in particular because it was recorded such a long time ago It was actually the very first music video I ever filmed, which now that I've said that, I suppose I should share it in the show notes and on Instagram as well. So be kind (laughs) or not. What is that saying? Any publicity is good publicity. So I don't know. Rip me a new one. I don't care. I do. Please don't. If you have the time, rate and review. It helps me get the podcast out there to listeners that perhaps otherwise wouldn't find it. And if you enjoy it and you have some friends that might get something out of it, give it a share on the socials. And hey, I hope you enjoy this episode between me and my beautiful mother. We've just listened to the first chapter, He Said You're Really an Ugly Girl, with the soundtrack from Tori Amos, uh, Precious Things. And for this interview or chat, I will be talking to someone I've known most of my life, if not all. She has been a teacher for over 30 years. She has a PhD in drama education and... 
She is one of my primary editors. I would like to welcome Dr. Moore, my mother. Hello. Thank you. Pleased to be here. <laughs> Are we allowed to use your real name? Of course. This is Tina Moore joining us on the program today. We are both a little bit anxious, a little bit nervous, but hey, we're probably going to end up in tears or rocking back and forth on the floor as per usual when we have these kinds of discussions in a more private setting. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I appreciate it greatly and also just having you with me throughout the last 34 years of my existence. <laughs> A pleasure indeed. You have been over these first few chapters with me, so you know them pretty well in and out, but I guess I just wanted to know what my anxiety looked like to you as a small child when I was growing up because obviously for me I just thought that that's how all kids felt like you know that they were gonna explode and die and shit themselves all at the same time constantly um I don't recall anything notable before primary school you were um had close friendships as a young girl <clears throat> and you engaged in a lot of play and you were a busy youngster but um, you started to lack self-confidence I would say somewhere around year three and were always checking in um, to make sure you were doing things right or that you um, had a grasp on something that you needed to do. What do you mean? Checking in with you? Uh, yes, you didn't come home and, for example, um, open your book and just do your homework. And I was used to Ben, who mostly wanted to get his homework out of the way. Mm. He didn't want any help. He didn't care if he got things right or wrong. What he wanted to do was... Um, get it done, throw it out into the world, i.e. school the next day without having anybody check it, and get on with what his own preoccupations were. Mm. And you much more wanted to be led by the hand and had everything double-checked. And also, um, you quite often felt that you didn't understand what needed to be done. No, yeah. I remember always feeling, even like throughout high school, feeling like like I didn't, like I was always misunderstanding the question or that I wasn't going to understand the question. And I guess that's how we realised, particularly in primary school, that perhaps I had some mild learning difficulties, which is, you know, embarrassing to admit. And then they put me in the special English program with all the other weird kids. And yeah, you sort of, I don't know, end up feeling like, I remember feeling like I was dumb, like I was a dumb kid. I think that came a little bit later. I do remember that um, in year five, yeah, 
you were put into a program that um, geared you towards understanding not just decoding your reading, but comprehending what was written. Mm. And that was the first indication that we really had that you were reading for expression or reading for decoding the the language, but not really um, engaged in the story or understanding um, the underlying themes of what you were reading. And that came a little bit later. Um, What I picked up on was, to use the education jargon of the time, that you needed a lot of scaffolding to do your tasks. And scaffolding is a term that's used when you just pick a skill that needs doing and start with the basic need or instruction and you master that and then you can get on to the next stage and then I was hoping that by careful scaffolding of your work at home that you would develop more confidence in being able to do it for yourself. Your school had a tradition of public speaking, Mm. so you needed to be guided through, you know, how to do a three-minute public speech. And most most kids do need to be guided through. Mm. And once you were guided through, how do I put together a three-minute public speech on something that's going to interest somebody else? You were away because you love performing. And what happened when I did my first public speech? Yes, you took it right to the absolute nth degree and you did a speech about the unusual names in our family and were able to tell really good stories about them. And it was it was fantastic because... And I won. Thank you, you won. That you won. There was some kind of competition at school. Well, it was. Won. You won your year level. Thank you. And I, <laughs> I believe, just wanted that to be. On yeah, the you did. I believe that to be in year four. But what was always difficult for you was how to start. Where mm. do I start? I mean, I don't know if it's. I don't know if it was dyslexia or like an ADD thing. Um, only very recently, like in the last few weeks my new psychiatrist has uh, diagnosed me now as having um, ADHD and uh, ASD, autism spectrum disorder symptoms. He hasn't come out and said directly that I necessarily have these conditions, but I definitely remember feeling um, when I was reading, whether it be like a math problem or an English question, um, I remember feeling like I was reading it, like I understood all the words, but I couldn't make a sentence make sense and I would have to read it over and over again. And I still do that now, even with my own book. <laughs> like I have to read this and it's like I find reading really difficult because I have to read the sentence three times to make sure I'm listening to myself read it. That's what it feels like. It feels like I'm looking at the words, the sentence is going in through my brain, but I'm not, it's not, it's not how like dyslexia is depicted on TV where they see like the letters moving around and stuff. It's, it's that it's more like I am 
distracted elsewhere in my brain and I'm not listening to the information go into my head. That's the only way I can explain it. So So it's now called reading for meaning. Mm. And that's the part that, um, and some people do have to explicitly be taught to read for meaning rather than recode, decode. It's not that uncommon. Yeah. It's just that um, I think you were lucky enough because you were coping well enough that it wasn't picked up until about year five. And then it was picked up that you weren't reading for meaning. And Mm. you can't answer questions on a text if you're not reading for meaning, if you're just decoding letters, right? That's more like reading to uh, learning to read. I would never have picked up on ADHD. I had other students that had ADHD, so you weren't following that pattern at all. But if your mind was as busy as you say it was, um, that actually makes me sad because perhaps there could have been something that could have been done Mm. for just calming that to allow you to focus earlier and then um, gain more confidence along the way about your own learning. Yeah. And because we do have men on the spectrum in our family, I knew also what that looked like, and I don't think that I would have picked you for that either. (laughs) Yeah. You know, now we know that girls present very differently than boys with ADD. It could be just that I picked up on things just from dad, like nature nurture kind of thing. Sometimes I think, oh, maybe I just reacted that way or act, learned to act that way because I watched my father with this condition and that's just how I learned how to navigate the world. My, my brain was perhaps acting in a way that might have been like as busy as an ADD person would present outwardly, but because I was so debilitated by anxiety I put all of those um, impulses inside and kind of suppressed them and that's where it came out as this sense of like lack of confidence and and just you know eternally living in fear. (laughs) Yeah the anxiety um, I think I picked up on a little bit later maybe maybe as young as nine or ten, but you used to go to after-school care, but I was working part-time. So I do remember feeling that on days that I wasn't working and I would pick you and Ben up at car park pickup, that I'd know right away by the way you were walking in the car, whether you'd had a good day or a bad day. Mm. And um, when you had a good day, you were on top of the world. But when you had a bad day, you would um, get in the car in a very, very foul mood, but you never wanted to talk about it. You Mm. just wanted to get in the car and go home. Yeah, I sort of, I don't, I don't remember really, like I remember not not talking about any bullying or any issues like going on with my friends. But yeah, as especially as I got older, like older primary school, that became more and more of a challenge for my self-confidence. 
my like my best friend in school was tiny, skinny little thing, and you know I was Amelia's fat friend, Kirsty. That's something that like went with me from primary school throughout my entire school career. I think about now and I see photos of myself as a little kid. I wasn't fucking fat and I was beautiful. <laughs> like, I honestly don't get it. Like, I try and wrap my head around it now. I'm like, well, I must have been just been putting some energy out there that was just so, I don't know, like that people just didn't like and they chose to pick on the one thing that they know girls fear most in the world, particularly in the 90s when celebrities that were already tiny were considered fat. You know, I've recently learned that, like, Bridget Jones's diary, we know that Renee Zellweger put on, like, 20 kilos for that role, maybe more. She was still under 60 kilos <laughs> as as that part, or, like, around 60 kilos. And... That is tiny, and she was seen as this, like, grotesque image of fatness. And, you know, every talk show she went on, it was like, how did you lose the weight afterwards? And afterwards, she was, like, in my opinion, she has never, like, she was anorexic. And she has never gotten back to a body that was pre-Bridget Jones, which, which was just kind of normal. Anyway, that's an aside. But, um, you know, all these celebrities, Nicole Richie, who was Paris Hilton's fat friend, Nicole, again, tiny, you know, watching The Simple Life, but we're being told that she's obese and then, then the next minute she's running down the beach in a bikini that can barely even be held up on her skeletal body. So these are the people that we as teenagers and prepubescent girls were told were fat and then they corrected their dysfunction and became societally approved. So I don't know, it, it kind of, that, that also began to affect my self-confidence. So I went from feeling like um, a bit dumb and then all of a sudden it was like the body image stuff came in and... Uh, yeah, that's when I, those kind of two worlds collided and I remember things like Athletics Day and Fun Run Day and, like, weeks before being paralysed with fear about those upcoming days. Do you remember that? Do you remember me, like, like for... I don't know if I would talk about it. Maybe I wouldn't, but... You, you hated... Um... Um, swimming carnival, I do remember that, and you specifically hated um, orienteering. And oh my I remember god! That, which was an me. annual event, and I understand <laughs> that because I, I mean, we never did orienteering really when I was growing up, so that was new to me too. But you know, for somebody whose brain was really, really busy and not confident to figure out how to hold the map the right way round mm. and then read a map um, <clears throat> through a, an, a, a part of uh, the local countryside that you'd never sort of been to before mm. could be very daunting. I, you know, I, I'm not surprised by that at all. In terms of 
uh, athletics or cross-country runs or anything like that, I would totally have agreed with you. I felt exactly the same way. When anything involved running, I knew myself, you know, as also being the fat friend when I was growing up, that um, that that can be a really, really unpleasant experience. They are quite convinced now that when you face your fears and come out the other end, that you feel better about it and that it's really important to face those fears. But I'm not really convinced that that's what happened with you. you know? <laughs> I actually feel sick to my stomach thinking about orienteering right now. Like I didn't put orienteering in the book. I hadn't, I haven't thought about that in a few years and I feel like I'm going to vomit. I remember one year I was following my friend Amelia around trying to figure out where her she was collecting markers like I couldn't we would practice orienteering at school the school that I had been going to since not even prep since kindergarten and I and I couldn't look at the map and read it the right way like I could not do it Mm. so like you're saying when I was put into a a place that I didn't know that also didn't really have markers. It was just trees and bush as far as I remember and maybe an oval. I was complete. I was completely paralyzed by fear and confusion. And then there's the added level of humiliation, knowing that I'm getting further and further behind. I'm seeing other people finish and going out. I know there's a time limit to get this done. And I just remember one day just being like, I'm... Like, I, I don't know if they had an alarm go off or how I knew that it was over, but I remember being the single last person out of the entire primary school, like hundreds of kids to like come crawling out of the woods. And I hadn't got a single um, tag or whatever they are, you know, myself. The only ones I'd gotten were off friends that had been like I guess she's struggling we better give her like a clue on where one of these tags is on a tree oh I'm like shaking with anxiety it was so bad anyway I think that was the last year that I was forced to do it because as soon as we entered high school we didn't have Mm. to do it anymore but fuck me that was a dark that was a dark time in life I didn't know that it could get darker than orienteering, but alas. So who knows? Maybe that was an auditory processing problem or maybe it was an ADHD problem, but um, you wouldn't have been alone. So it's interesting to to speculate as to whether things had been different if that had been picked up, Mm. but it's not unusual for girls to be embarrassed if they're you know picked last on a team and how many stories do you hear about that now Mm. but um, it it did seem to devastate you more than other people who were going through similar things at the same time yes I'm a very delicate flower as my friend Vanessa likes to say. Well, we I recently heard again on the radio, and I haven't heard it for a very long time, about somebody who talks about the dandelion orchid phenomenon. Oh, yeah. And it was interesting Can because, you just explain what that is? Um, well, the dandelion 
is the child who can grow up through the cracks in the in the path and the sidewalk and um it doesn't really matter too much what you throw at him whether you call him names or you know whether he's last in the race but tends to be like water and have it <laughs> roll off you know doesn't take it personally doesn't really turn inward in obsessing about you mm. know flaws or failings for example or weaknesses just whether it's sunny flaws. or raining <laughs> or or you think i have flaws hey. and failings <laughs> <laughs> oh forgive me forgive me <laughs> um we'll continue to thrive you know and come spring and a little sprinkling of water will come up and bloom mm. and the orchid i mean by comparison needs ideal conditions to thrive <laughs> Um, and, uh, for you, they weren't ideal conditions, you know, you were, you did obsess about things and, um, and yes, you have been my little orchid for most <laughs> of, of my life, needing the right humidity, the right sunshine, the right water, the right amount of, of educational scaffolding and, um, confidence building. Yes, I I was born to be the boy in the bubble, and yet I was flung cruelly out into the world to fend for myself, as if I were just a dandelion. <laughs> no, we discovered you weren't. You weren't the dandelion. <laughs> I think I'm a dandelion. Yeah, you are. Mm-mm. And Dad, I think I'm much more like Dad. I think he's... Um, uh, much more sensitive flower than you know he we ever give him than, credit for exactly yeah <laughs> oh dear is there anything else you wanted to add about this chapter because i feel i've i'm um after the orienteering fiasco uh, i'm starting to calm down a little so any anything else that you had that you wanted to discuss no actually no um I've written paranoia down in my notes when I was oh, rereading good. that chapter. <laughs> and um, I'm not really, really sure why, except maybe that's the extreme end of hypersensitivity or lack of confidence. Yeah. And that every, that you felt everything that you did, there were eyes on you. So it was being judged, you know, from a very early age. Definitely when I look back on my school experience, I can no longer tell, knowing how sensitive I am now and how often I get things wrong. Like if if somebody looks at me a certain way or says something, I react. And then once I have a conversation with them, I have realized that I've interpreted something totally differently. I think it happened a lot. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, so I now wonder, was I getting picked on as much as I internalized? Was I probably getting picked on a bit and then I was on watch for it all the time? I think that's probably mm, more mm, accurate. Mm. And I definitely <laughs> felt like all eyes were on me in the classroom. I remember feeling like, like I did get, I got, like I got comments that I had a slutty way of walking. So then all of a sudden 
I can't even walk anywhere without feeling worried that somebody's looking at the way that I walk, you know? So things could have been a comment that happened once, maybe twice, and then it's, then it's in my mind and I cannot forget it for the, the rest of eternity. Like the fact that I hate my earlobes <laughs> despite a friend uh, just jokingly mentioning them in year four, I want to say, at after school care, probably one of the days I got into the car and I was in a foul mood and didn't want to talk because I had hideous fucking earlobes. <laughs> oh, it's a very hard life. It's hard being me. <laughs> Oh, God, thank you for joining me on this uh, very distressing journey that I've decided to embark on. (laughs) Hopefully some healing comes out of this process. I'm sure it will. I'm a ragdoll I'm a ragdoll